a couple of comments. One is, Mom, I invited this guy from school to come to church using these new invite cards that we're talking about. He called me an idiot because I believe in God. Another comment. Honey, I told the boss I could not distort the sales numbers because it violates my faith as a Christian, and I missed out on the promotion. An email. Pastor Mark, how can I get a copy of your sermon about marriage? I want my husband to hear it. Well, it's on the Internet, on our website. You can go find it. Pastor Mark, it did not turn out well. He got mad. Franklin Graham in USA Today, May of 2017. As I walked through the burned-out shell of a church near Mosul, Iraq, just a few weeks ago, our translator told me that the Islamic State graffiti scrawled on the walls read, You love life, we love death. Members of ISIS had written, quote, We have come to drink your blood. The article continued in USA Today, and it mentioned 23 Christians were killed in Mexico by drug cartels because of their Christian faith. It also mentioned that in Germany, among refugees seeking asylum, 88% of those uh, faced religious motivation as the persecution in their homeland. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. I'll invite you to stand with me. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Jesus said this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today, I want to share with you, if you have not already learned this truth, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, somewhere, sometime, somehow, it will cost you something. Our Heavenly Father, remind us today that our faith is free to all who will believe, but it came at a great price to you, the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus upon the cross in our place and for our sin. Make us thankful on this day and every day for that great salvation that we have. And make us also mindful, Lord, that because of that great faith we have, we too somehow, sometime, somewhere, and someplace will face opposition from others because of our faith. Help us even this morning to be reminded of and to learn principles that we can put into place that will enable us to go through these times of opposition, not only with great joy, but with great success and great victory, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Wasn't that a great way to start a sermon? It's tough, and it's going to get tougher, perhaps, along the way. I want you to think about a couple of things. Because of the gospel, Jesus was put to death on the cross. Because of the gospel... The first century Christians were persecuted and were spread all across the known world. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, the great apostle Paul wrote, It has been granted to you as a Christian that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. We live in a world where it will cost you something to be a follower 
of Jesus Christ. As I say those words this morning, some of you are thinking back to this event or that event that's taken place in the past, or maybe something you're dealing with even now in the present that relates simply to the fact that you are a Christian and a follower of Christ, and it is costing you something. Perhaps it's a simple comment of someone calling you a name. Perhaps it's being shunned by those who know your Christian uh, position. Perhaps it may cost you a job promotion. Perhaps some sort of conflict in a relationship that you have in your home or among friends. It may cost you financially some way and somehow. It may cost you even a job. In some parts of the world and sometimes in history, being a Christian has cost people not only their finances but also their home. It may cost an injury. And there are those instances, as I reported even from Iraq and other parts of the world today and throughout history, where it has literally cost Christians their life in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me ask this question this morning. Knowing that, is it worth it to be a follower of Jesus Christ? The answer is yes, because the best is yet to come. No matter what you and I may have to endure on this earth because of our faith, the salvation that was purchased for us through Jesus, the suffering He endured in our place, makes it not only worth it on this earth, but makes it worthwhile throughout all of eternity. A major theme in the book of 1 Peter is God's grace towards us in the midst of opposition for our faith. When you and I became believers, there are many who got excited about it. Perhaps the folks in church back in that time when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Perhaps family members, perhaps among those at your school or among your friends, perhaps those among your co-workers got excited because you had trusted Jesus. But there are some who have opposed your conversion to Christianity because it meant something. You're no longer who you were. You no longer go where you used to go. You no longer do what you used to do. Well, we're talking and working our way through the book of 1 Peter. And in, in the, uh, I would say on the cover of your bulletin, we have a different cover this week, but on the cover of your bulletin, you've seen the theme, Living in Hope. There's something about, about the Christian life that gives us hope. Even though it may cost us something, there is something about the Christian life that gives us hope in every circumstance so that you and I can know Christ as Savior and live victoriously and have the hope of eternal life. Today, we're going to look at two passages there in the book of 1 Peter. The first is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, and the second passage is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. And I want to walk you through, uh, in all too short of a time, I want to walk you through five principles to consider when facing opposition to your faith. Five things to keep in mind when we hit those snags or that open opposition or even persecution that may cost us something valuable in order to continue to follow Christ. I want you to notice, first of all, in uh, 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8, that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. If you've been blessed, I want you to say amen. That's all of us. I counted every one. We've all been blessed, and we've been blessed in order that we might then be a blessing to others in the name of Jesus. Notice verse 8. Finally, all of you, all of you who are believers, have the following things. A unity of mind. You know, we're a very diverse congregation here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Don't you agree with that? 
We're different ages, we're different stages, we're different colors on our skin, we're different nationalities, we're different economic levels, we pull for different teams. There's so many things about us that is diverse, but the one thing that brings us together in unity is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a unity of mind. Also, he says there, have sympathy. When there are those in our midst that have difficult times, we are to have compassion in those difficult circumstances. Have brotherly love. Love one another with the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's one of the themes throughout 1 Peter, as we've talked about already. All of you have a tender heart, a tenderness in your spirit concerning the circumstances and issues of the day in which you live. All of you have a humble mind, courteous towards others, not thinking too much of yourself. We're blessed in order to be a blessing. Notice verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We're called to bless others. Now listen carefully. Even those who refuse to bless us. We're called to bless others, even those who are against us because of our uh, stand and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we can't do that on our own, can we? I know I can't do it on my own. I need some help, and thankfully God provides that. You know, Christians, when we face opposition and when we face reviling, we'll talk about that more in a second, when we face persecution for our faith, there are three options that we have as far as how we choose to respond. We can choose to respond in three ways. One is we can respond in wickedness. And, and responding in wickedness means when somebody treats you well or good, you in turn treat them evil. That's wicked. Anytime somebody is nice and you repay that with wickedness or evil behavior, that's simply wickedness. A second option is to respond in humanness. To respond in humanness means if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you're mean to me, I'll be mean to you. If you treat me good, I'll treat you good. If you treat me bad, I'll treat you bad. That's just human. Respond to others as they treat you. But then the third option we have is to respond in Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness says that when you treat me good, I'm going to treat you well. When you treat me bad, I'm going to treat you well. When you treat me wicked or evil, I'm going to treat you well. That's the Christ-like response. That's what the Scripture calls us to do. These, these responses, notice in verse 10, that there, there are a couple of responses that we see here that, that we can choose to do uh, when we're faced with opposition for our faith in whatever form it may come. Verses 10 and 11. The, the, first, the first response is, is that we, we ought to watch our mouth. I didn't say wash your mouth. That might come later. But watch your mouth. Notice in verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days. That's our motivation, isn't it? Let him, three let hims here. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You know, how many problems have been started or magnified or exacerbated because somebody didn't know how to keep their mouth shut? How many problems have been made worse because somebody said just the wrong thing at just the right time? So that's what he's saying here. Keep my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceit. The psalmist was no doubt thinking about this very thing in Psalm 141 and verse 3 when the psalmist said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. <laughs> Put a guard 
over my mouth. Don't let me say what I should not say. And the psalmist goes on to say, uh, keep watch over the door of my lips. You want to say amen this morning? Watch your mouth, especially in times of opposition. Uh, opposition gives us a wonderful time to represent our faith. We don't want to ruin it by saying the wrong thing. So watch your mouth. Secondly, choose goodness. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Decide in advance how you're going to respond to, to folks that may treat you bad. They may say a disparaging word to you. Decide in advance that, that even in the face of being treated badly, you're going to respond by treating good. Turn away from evil and do the right thing. Do good. Number three, uh, also in verse 11, seek peace. Seek peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding is available in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. Verse number 11 says, seek peace and pursue it. You know, I, I was told this growing up. I didn't realize how true it is till I've gotten to be an adult and say the same thing back to my kids. <laughs> and that is, whatever you're looking for, you're likely to find. If you're looking for trouble, guess what? You'll probably find trouble. If you're looking for goodness, you're most likely to find goodness. If you're looking for wickedness, you're most likely to find wickedness. Whatever you're looking for, you're most likely to find or to produce. And so we have the opportunity, even when facing opposition, to produce goodness and godliness even in the face of the difficulty that may come our way. I want you to notice in verse 12, there's a great reminder there that, that how we are treated and how we then treat others is of great personal uh, 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 importance to God. Notice what it says in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So he's talking about two different groups of people. The righteous, those who know Christ and live their faith, and the wicked, those who do not know Christ and those who are in, in opposition to our faith. And, and how do we know that the Lord is not, not just aware, but personally aware of what's going on? We see it by the language that's used. The eyes of the Lord. That's very personal. Looking, uh, looking personally at our circumstances. We see here also the ears of the Lord are tuned in to the prayers that we pray. And the face of the Lord, it says, are turned away from those who are wicked and indicating He turns towards those who are, are righteous, those who know Christ. It's a very personal thing to God, how we are treated, but also how we treat others in return. So, so we are blessed to be a blessing. Notice the second principle, and that is in verses 13 to 20 in 1 Peter 3. And that is being blessed... We should be gentle when we are reviled. You know, reviled is not one of those words I use every day. I don't know about you. So I did a little word study on, on the word reviled. What does it mean? To be reviled means to be hated. Not just disliked, but hated. To be reviled means to be despised. To be reviled means that you are enemies to the utmost degree. It means that you, are, you could not be any more enemies uh, with that person. Now, now it takes, some people say it takes two to tango, so to speak, but, but there are those out there who, because of our faith, will revile us. They will, they will be opposed to us adamantly. They will be opposed to us in the highest degree. They will count us as their enemies, not because of anything we've done towards them, but because we've put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, being enemies with Christ, now count us as their enemies as well. So being blessed, we now face being reviled, 
And when we are reviled, we're called to respond with gentleness. Let's look, we'll work our way through this a little bit. Notice verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, this is, not, this is a rhetorical question. It's, it's not asking as in to say, well, there's nobody out there who will oppose you. It's saying, of course there are those out there who will oppose you. There are those who are, are wicked. There are those who are evil. There are those who, who are enemies with Christ, and so they take it out on you. There, there are those who are ungodly. There, there are spiritual enemies of God that are at war against the things of God in the spiritual realm that we never see and we're not aware of in our human uh, nature and our human experience. Romans 8, 35 to 39 talks about some of these enemies and forces that are against us because we follow Jesus Christ. I'm just going to mention them all too quickly. Romans 8, 35 to 39. It asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to oppose us? Because here's the answer. Nobody can oppose us, but many will try. That's the answer. So here's what it says. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us? For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can oppose us? Nobody, and nothing can oppose us. However, there are many forces that will try, but none are able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we are reviled by people or circumstances or even forces outside of our control, we're called to answer with a gentleness. Notice verse 14 there. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Even if you're doing the right thing and you've done nothing wrong and you're innocent, but simply because you are a follower of Christ, you suffer somehow, some way because of your faith, you will be blessed. And then it says two things. Have no fear and don't be troubled. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to, 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 to get at you because you know Jesus as your Savior. So then how do we respond to opposition? There's two additional ways given here that when we face opposition for our faith, two ways that we can respond. First of all, there in verse 15, is to honor Christ, period. Determine in advance and determine in the face of opposition that whatever anybody or any circumstance throws at you or throws at me, that we will determine that we will honor Christ no matter what. You know, history tells down through the ages and even in our day and time and in some of the, the persecution of Christians that's taken place by ISIS and, and other Islamic extremists over in the Middle East, are, 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 they're calling these Christians, they're gathering them up and they're harming them and they're holding a knife to their throat and they're saying to them, all you have to do is renounce your faith in Christ and we'll let you go. That's all you have to do. And we have seen evidence, even video evidence, of men and women who have failed to renounce their faith and held firm to their faith, even facing death, and it has cost them their life. And when they kill one, the very next one knows what's coming if they don't renounce their faith. And even then, they hold firm to their faith. It's been an amazing testimony to watch. It's heartbreaking, and it's heart-wrenching, and it's tragic, and it's terrible, and it's, and it's all the things that go with it. But man, it is a testimony that there are those who will, will honor Christ even to the point of death. So, so, so how do we respond? Determined to honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
as set apart from the things of the world, set apart for the purposes of God. That's how we can respond. That's how we're called to respond. Don't fear it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be intimidated by it. But just determine, I'm going to honor Christ. And then secondly, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, get your testimony ready. Have you got your, you got your testimony ready? Your testimony is basically three sentences. My life before I met Christ how I became a follower of Christ, and my life since I've become a follower of Christ. I grew up in an unchurched home and didn't know Jesus. As a young teenager, I trusted Jesus as my Savior, and my life has never been the same. Those are my three sentences. Now, if you've got three hours, I can fill in the blanks. If you've got 30 minutes, I can fill in the blanks. If you've got three minutes, I can tell you a little bit more. But those are my three sentences. And the Scripture tells us here in other places, always be ready so that when somebody asks you about your faith, you're ready to share with them. And there are many wonderful occasions where that can take place. But what about those occasions when somebody's coming against you and they're calling you an idiot because you have an invite card to invite them to church with you? Or, or they're telling you that, that you don't get the promotion because you're, you're not willing to, to violate your ethics in order to, to, to cheat on a sales report? And they say, what, what, what's wrong with you that you won't do these things? What's wrong with you that you believe in God? They're asking you to give a defense of the reason you have a faith. And are you ready to share? So that's what it tells us. Always being prepared to make a defense. And the notice is, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I think the scripture is asking the impossible of us. I mean, it's one thing to be innocently accused or innocently opposed, and now we have to answer with a smile on our face? I don't know about you, but that's impossible for me to do. But thankfully, I have a Savior who creates impossible things in my life when I trust Him. And so I would hope that for you, just like for me, just like for many others, when opposition comes, that we don't just get the hair on our neck raised up and we don't bristle up and then just give them the full bore of, of your condemned to hell and I hope you burn for all of eternity. We shouldn't do that. That's why I say you know, watch your mouth. <laughs> Instead, give the hope that we have in gentleness. Give the hope that we have in respect. Notice verse 16 having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not if, but when you are slandered, you verbally ripped to shreds because of your faith, when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It may become clear when you're opposed by your response, by your gentleness, by your respect, by your testimony. That's further, that's further evidence of our faith that puts them to shame. Because if we respond in humanness, if we respond in wickedness, if we respond by bristling up and fighting right back verbally or even physically, we're only proving their point. As opposed to sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, something similar happened here. The, the, Jesus had risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit had come. The, the disciples were going out and winning people to Christ. They were preaching. And the Jewish leaders didn't like it. They hauled them into court. And it says there in Acts chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 18, that the Jewish leaders did three things. They called them in. They, they rounded them up. Secondly, they charged them. They said, listen, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. And then, then they further threatened them before they let them go. They were opposed. 
These Jewish leaders were opposed to the Christians. And so how did Peter and John and the other, how did they respond? They responded, notice they responded by giving a defense, as we just read about. They responded with respect, and they responded with gentleness. They said, you've got to figure out whether it's right or not for us to do this. We just can't help it. That's all they said. And they went out and continued sharing the gospel. But also notice this, that Jesus set the example for us. We're not called to do anything more. In fact, we're called, the, the very most we'll ever do is far less than what Jesus went through for us. Verse number 18 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered, notice, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Notice, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus suffer? And notice, he was opposed, and he was arrested, and he was beaten, and he was nailed to a cross, and he died. Why did he do that? It says it right there in that verse, to bring us to God. So there's nothing that will come towards me because of my faith that Jesus didn't suffer even more. And there's, and there's, no, uh, there, there's, there's, there's no opposition that is worth denouncing a faith that cost my Lord so much. So being blessed, we're called to be gentle when we are reviled. Third, I want you to notice a third principle here, and that is be prepared for your faith to be tested. If it hasn't happened yet, it will. You may be sitting here saying, well, Mark, this is, you know, you're, you're talking, I understand what you're saying, but I've been a Christian for decades, and I've never faced opposition to my faith. And I'd say a couple of things. Perhaps you've been isolated in an area and an arena where these things don't happen to people that live where you live and work where you work, and that's a wonderful thing, counted a blessing. But I also would say this. If you haven't noticed, we live in a day and a time where more and more opposition to those who claim to be Christians is coming more and more. Whether it's to, towards individuals in an isolated environment at a school or a work or a home, it's also becoming more and more prevalent culturally to be negative towards Christians. And so be prepared for your faith to be tested. Now we're in chapter 4, 1 Peter, verses 12 to 14. Notice three things real quick. First of all, he says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't, don't be surprised. When, when it happens, don't act like it, it, it's not supposed to happen and don't act like something's wrong when, when you are tested for your faith. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. You're going to be tested for your faith. You are. Now, in, in, in your experience, it may be only very small. It may be only once, and it may have been 30 years ago. But, 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 but for some, and even for many throughout history and throughout the world, the testing is much more severe. So don't be surprised when it's going to come. It's not anything strange. Secondly, verse, 30, uh, verse 13, rejoice. Don't be surprised. Secondly, rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Now we're not, our suffering does not make us right with God. Christ's sufferings make us right with God. And when we suffer for our faith, when we face opposition for our faith, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and that gives us cause to rejoice because we just get it. We're just having a small dose of what He went through for us, and it reminds us of exactly what He did in our place and for our sins. So rejoice in that you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad. When his glory is revealed, one day 
Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. I mean, I, I don't know when it's going to be, but I, I, I will make this prediction, and I'm 100% accurate. It's closer now than it's ever been. Amen? And when he comes back, his glory is going to be revealed. In the meantime, it's going to get rough. And the scripture tells us it's going to get real rough as it gets closer to the end. I don't know how close to the end we are. I don't know if I will die of natural causes at the age of 114 or if Jesus will come back first. Either way, the glory of God is going to be revealed. So I should rejoice. And thirdly, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. When we're tested, don't be surprised. Rejoice and recognize it's a blessing because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When we're able to rejoice in the face of difficulties, it's just a sign God has blessed us. I know what you might be thinking. Well, I don't want those blessings. I want the ones that make me feel good and give me lots of money and I'm always healthy. I understand that. But there is a blessing that comes in difficulty and suffering and opposition that there are many in this room I could call your name right now but I won't you would stand up right now and testify that at the weakest, darkest most suffering uh, time of your life the most opposition that you faced for your faith Jesus showed up and blessed you in your soul be prepared for your faith to be tested then fourthly glorify God when you face opposition to your faith when it comes, give glory to God. Verses 15 and 16 tell us about this. But notice verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, when you find yourself thrown in jail and persecuted and your name's being drugged through the mud, make sure it's not on account of something you did that was bad. You can't be in jail for murdering somebody or you can't have a reputation as a meddler and a gossip and then turn around and say, well, Jesus, I'm just suffering for Jesus. No, you're not. In fact, you might be dragging his name through the mud. You may be ruining your own testimony. Don't let your suffering be because you're doing sinful, illegal, wrong things. Rather, verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, so that the reason for your suffering is your faith, let him, first of all, not be ashamed, and secondly, glorify God in the name of Jesus. I am continually reminded when I read of difficulties uh, in scripture and, and the trials that come of a man I heard firsthand in my seminary days at Southeastern Seminary in the 1980s. A man who had been under communism in Romania and was a pastor and, and was threatened and was arrested and jailed and beaten simply because he was a Christian pastor. And he stood in our seminary class talking to us young preacher boys who knew nothing about suffering. And he looked us in the eye and he told us, stand for Christ, pay the price, no compromise. And he had the credibility to back it up. Great testimony. I remember it to this day. Lastly, remember that sometimes, sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer for our faith. Is that as hard for you to hear as it is for me to say? Is that a surprise? Sometimes it's God's will that you and I suffer because of our Faith. I want you to notice verse 19, which says, Therefore, let those who suffer, let those who suffer do two things. You see it on the screen there. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator 
while doing good. If you're suffering for your faith, here's what you should do. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator. In other words, trust God. Lord, it is a difficult time right now. This is, I'm simply living out my faith, and this opposition is coming towards me. I'm simply trying to do the best I can to live for you and share my faith and be gentle and watch my mouth and do all the right things, and I'm suffering. Lord, I'm going to trust you even in this suffering. Amen to that? That's what we should do. And secondly, keep doing the right thing. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. Don't give over. Do the right things, even if it costs you everything. So, so as you look at the screen, I want you to notice again that verse. So go back one slide, Bill, if you would. Notice it says there, Let those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I left the middle part of that verse out. I want you to see it there on the screen now. Therefore, let those who suffer, notice this part underlined, according to God's will. According to God's will. There, there's sometimes, in some ways, and somehow, I don't understand. I can't pretend to understand it, but I know that it's true. That, that there are some times that we suffer according to God's will that, that, that somehow accomplishes His good and perfect will in our lives and then through our lives. In chapter 3 and verse 17 of 1 Peter, it says, It's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. There are some times that suffering and opposition to our faith comes from and with the permission of God himself. What is he doing when we suffer that way? Well, I can't explain it. But I can point out to you that it does accomplish his will. For example, if you go back and read the story of Joseph in Genesis, all these things that happened to Joseph, then in chapter 50, the very end, Joseph says to his brothers, you meant all these things against me, you meant them for harm. But God meant it for good. There was something about the will of God being accomplished in the suffering of the life of Joseph that pursued and carried out the very will of God for the people of God. If you go and read the story of God's people enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, there's something about that that accomplished God's purposes. If you read the story of Daniel in the lion's den, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you read those stories in the book of Daniel and all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that even in the face of suffering, God was working and accomplishing His will. If you look at the story, the ultimate story of Jesus on the cross, it was God's will, it says in Scripture, that Jesus would be crushed so that we might be delivered. There's something about suffering in certain circumstances that accomplishes God's will. If you look at the New Testament church, they were persecuted and literally run out of town, and many of them were even put to death. There's examples all throughout history. There's the examples I shared with you at the beginning of the message about a friend from school, a sermon on marriage that I shared last week, a boss at work, Christians seeking to live their faith in Iraq, refugees in Germany, Christians in Mexico, and even you and I as we live our life. Sometimes we suffer and we face opposition as part of God's will. I can't explain it, but I can tell you that it's true. And I can tell you that as I look back over times of suffering and difficulty and brokenness even in my own life and even times of opposition, I can tell you that it was at those moments that I often felt spiritually the most blessed and the, most, and the most in tune with God and, and, the, and the greatest presence of God and the greatest strength of God. 
So I stand before you today and I say that we have a book of the Bible, 1 Peter, that tells us that we should live as people of hope. We have a great hope. And it's a great hope in eternity, amen? But it's a great hope that we have even now, even if we face, even when we face opposition, that hope carries us through, accomplishes God's will, is used by God as a testimony, and reaches people for Christ. Should any of us pray that we might go through opposition? Absolutely not. But when it comes, let's be mindful and not surprised. Let's be mindful that God is in control of all things and mindful He's accomplishing His good and perfect will. Mindful, we don't know everything. But we know enough of what Jesus has done for us, how he's called us to live for him. And even when facing opposition, we're on the winning side. The last chapter has not been written until the glory of God has been revealed in Jesus at the end times. Until then, keep on keeping on, even if it's in the face of opposition for your faith. Amen? I'm going to ask Rodney Hicks to come forward. He's going to lead us in a moment in a prayer. And the prayer is for those who are facing opposition. I mentioned to you earlier, there are those throughout history that have faced opposition for their faith. I've mentioned there are those who, uh, who are in Iraq and other places in the world right now that are currently facing opposition for their faith. I've mentioned to you a couple of real-life scenarios, even locally within the walls of our church, of people that are facing opposition for their faith. And who knows what you're going through that nobody else may know. So Rodney's going to come. Come on up here, Rodney, if you would. Rodney's going to come. He's going to lead us in a prayer for the oppressed. And as I've done for the last several weeks, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come and join us here around the altar. You may come to pray for others that you know who are facing opposition for their faith and putting their very lives on the line for the gospel. If, if that's your will and desire, then you just come on forward and you pray for them. You may be facing something yourself that lots of people know about. You come on and, 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 and you be part of that prayer. You may be facing something right now only because of your faith. Nobody else may even know it. And you come and be a part of that prayer as well. Because Al has slipped out and, and you do not want me to oppress you with my singing abilities, we're not going to conclude with a song. We're going to conclude with this prayer. So after Rodney prays, we're going to be dismissed. But if you want to hang around for a minute and, uh, and, and share with somebody, Rodney be available. Some of our other uh, deacons, you come down, guys, and be available. And uh, somebody can talk with you or pray with you if you'd like someone to do that. But, but as of now, let's all stand together. And if you want to be a part of this prayer for whatever reason, for yourself or for others, just come down here to the front and just gather here around the altar. And, uh, and then as you do that, Rodney's going to lead us in prayer just before we are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to tonight, all the things God's doing in our church, all the things God's doing in our lives. We look for God's blessing in the face of blessing and in the face of opposition. Rodney, come pray for us.